0: About estrangement and forgiveness, there perhaps is no more appropriate story in the Bible than the story of Joseph. Uh, So, we're going to read uh, a large swath of that story because almost the entirety of that section, beginning around Genesis 37 all the way through Genesis 50, uh, is is really Joseph's story of estrangement and forgiveness. Um, I'm not going to read the entirety of 13 chapters of Scripture to you, but uh, we're going to read sections of that uh, to hear that story again in our lives. I'm going to be reading it from the message paraphrase uh, So that we can hear the story well today It says, talking about Joseph's brothers They spotted him, they spotted Joseph off in the distance And by the time he got to them They had cooked up a plot to kill him The brothers were saying, here comes that dreamer Let's kill him and throw him into one of these old cisterns We can say that a vicious animal ate him up We'll see what his dreams amount to Reuben heard the brothers talking and intervened to save him. We're not going to kill him. No murder. Go ahead and throw him in this cistern out here in the wild, but don't hurt him. Reuben planned to go back later and get him out and take him back to his father. When Joseph reached his brothers, they ripped off the fancy coat he was wearing, grabbed him, and threw him into a cistern. The cistern was dry. There wasn't any water in it. Then they sat down to eat their supper. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites on their way from Gilead. Their camels loaded with spices, ointments, and perfumes to sell in Egypt. Judas said, Brothers, what are we going to get out of killing our brother and concealing the evidence? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, but let's not kill him. He is, after all, our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. By that time, the Midianite traders were passing by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph with them down to Egypt. Our story then continues in Genesis 39, where Joseph has been given, uh, he's, he's in charge of one of the governors of the area's house, of Potiphar, and, and Potiphar's wife is in the process of seducing him, and Joseph continues to deny her. And at this, at this point in the story, it says that she kept his coat right there until his master came home. And she told the master the same story. She said, the Hebrew slave, the one you brought to us, came after me and tried to use me for his plaything. When I yelled and screamed, he left his coat with me and ran outside. When his master heard his wife's story, telling him, these are the things your slave did to me, he was furious. Joseph's master took him and threw him into the jail where the king's prisoners were locked up. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. So Joseph's story continues uh, in Genesis forty-one. He has been sent to prison, uh, to the Pharaoh's prison, and during that time, uh, he interprets a couple dreams for people down in the prison. And word starts to be heard about him until the Pharaoh has some terrible dreams and asks who could interpret them, and and they bring up Joseph from the prison to interpret these dreams to Pharaoh, and 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 Pharaoh is so in. Enamored with Joseph's interpretive abilities that he says this So Pharaoh said to Joseph you're the man for us God has given you the inside story No one is as qualified as you in experience and wisdom From now on you're in charge of my affairs All my people will report to you only as king will I be over you So Pharaoh commissioned Joseph I'm putting you in charge of the entire country of Egypt Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his finger and slipped it on Joseph's hand he outfitted him in robes of the best linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He put the second-in-command chariot at his disposal, and as he rode, people shouted, Bravo! Joseph was in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Pharaoh told Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but no one in Egypt will make a single move without your stamp of approval. And then we move in the story because seven years of famine have come upon uh, the people of of Egypt and in the whole area, and that's what we learn about is that uh, the dreams that Pharaoh was having were about seven good years and then seven bad years, and and what Joseph did was lead an entire grain storage program uh, to to store up food from those first seven good years and to provide for the whole area in those seven years of famine, and so eventually, right, Joseph's brothers come up uh, or come southward, but uh, but up uh, to visit. To visit uh, Egypt and to try and get food to bring back to their father and to their family. Um, but they come without Benjamin, the youngest brother. And then as they return back, uh, because Joseph, Joseph demands that they bring him, they don't know that it is Joseph. And he knows that it's his brothers. But he has two years to determine what his response will be to them. And here is his response as they come back into his presence in Egypt. It says, but Joseph's sobbing was so violent that the Egyptians couldn't help but hear him. The news was soon reported to Pharaoh's palace. Joseph spoke to his brothers. I am Joseph. Is my father really still alive? But his brothers couldn't say a word. They were speechless. They couldn't believe what they were hearing and seeing. Come closer to me, Joseph said to his brothers. They came closer. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't feel badly. Don't blame yourselves for selling me. God was behind it. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. There has been a famine in the land now for two years. The famine will continue for five more years, neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me on ahead to pave the way and make sure there was a remnant in the land to save your lives in an amazing act of deliverance. So you see, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He set me in place as a father to Pharaoh, put me in charge of all his personal affairs, and made me ruler of all Egypt. Hurry back to my father. Tell him your son Joseph says, I'm master of all Egypt. Come as fast as you can and join me here. I'll give you a place to live in Goshen where you'll be close to me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and anything else you can think of. I'll take care of you there completely. There are still five more years of famine ahead. I'll make sure all your needs are taken care of, you and everyone connected with you. You won't want for a thing. Look at me. You can see for yourselves, and my brother Benjamin can see for himself, that it's me, my own mouth, telling you all this. Tell my father all about the high position I hold in Egypt, Tell him everything you've seen down here, but don't take all day. Hurry up and get my father down here. Then Joseph threw himself on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. He then kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Only then were his brothers able to talk with him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Estrangement is very real today. In a recent study in the last two years, it showed that 27% of people reported being estranged from a family member. And half of those estrangements were four or more years long. Now, the reasons why someone might be estranged from a family member are myriad. One could be that the position of the family that we talked about three weeks ago, with so much pressure on it to be the emotional center and support for individuals, sometimes, sometimes that family unit cannot hold up to the pressure. The high expectations on families as providers of meaning and happiness may actually increase the possibility of estrangement in some families. Another reason is an idea that is so particularly American that is tied to individualism. Some adult children may estrange from their parents as a way of personal growth today. This causes immense pain, especially for the mother or the father. There are times, however, where estrangement may be necessary. Situations of abuse, for instance. Most of what we are talking about today is not about abusive situations. Rather, we're talking about an estrangement by choice. Estrangement, however, is not a new phenomenon. Think about Joseph's story. He is an arrogant kid brother, right? The favorite of his father. These are all his half-brothers, these other 11. And they are so tired of his dreams that tell of his greatness over them that they make a plan. And united by their hatred, they send him into a pit to end his life. Maybe they weren't all 11 of them, this cruel, but the mob mentality took over as they talked together. Now, they changed their mind a little bit along the way. They didn't kill Joseph. Hear what they said, right? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, but let's not kill him. He is, after all, our brother, our own flesh and blood. So the brothers sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites, who sell him to the Egyptians. And then this is what the brothers do, right? They sit down to eat carrying on as if nothing had happened. They opt to estrange Joseph and to move him out of their life completely. They don't want or need him any longer, but then they just go ahead and have dinner together. And the story gets worse for Joseph, for after being brought into slavery in Egypt, he ends up what seems a pretty cushy position in Potiphar's house. He is in a position of some power and is mostly left alone in this role, except at Potiphar's wife, She continually tries to seduce Joseph, and Joseph always responds with a clear no. In one instance, she catches him, trying even harder to seduce him, and as he runs away to get out of her sight and leave the house, she takes his outer coat off, framing him. Potiphar's wife is not exactly mentally stable. She blames Joseph to her husband, and then she blames her husband for allowing this foreign slave into their house. And it says that Joseph's master took him and threw him into the jail where the king's prisoners were locked up. Could you imagine being Joseph in this situation? Not only being sold by your brothers into a foreign land to be a slave, then rising up and being trusted with a good deal in this position, all to have it thrown away by a false accusation, and then to be in prison with no realistic hope of ever, ever getting out Joseph doesn't know what God is doing at this point. He has to feel like God is silent and doesn't care about his plight. And this is all because of his brother's decision to estrange him. Joseph's story, as we know, is far from over, for he proves himself in prison, and his dream interpreting abilities get noticed, even by the Pharaoh. So when Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams... As about the pending famine, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of the entire feeding project. He says, I am Pharaoh, but no one in Egypt will make a single move without your stamp of approval. Joseph's life has been quite the seesaw, from up to down and up again, without a lot of room in between. Then Joseph's brothers begin to experience the great famine in Israel, and their father Jacob sends them to Egypt, for he has heard about the vast silos of grain that Egypt has. Joseph recognizes his brothers, of course, but they don't recognize him. And Joseph demands that they make the return trip to Israel to bring back Benjamin, their youngest brother, Joseph's only true full brother there, whom he has not yet met. Their trip to go back and forth takes two years, so Joseph has plenty of time to determine how he will respond to them upon their return. Of course, Joseph could have held a massive grudge against them and tortured all of his brothers. He had the power to put them to death. But instead, Joseph offers the gift of forgiveness, the true gift of reconciliation. Come closer to me, Joseph said to his brothers. They came closer. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't feel badly, don't blame yourselves for selling me. God was behind it. Come closer to me, Joseph requests. This is the ultimate move of reconciliation. And where we really learn from Joseph what forgiveness amidst estrangement looks like. Joseph is willing to move closer towards his brothers. Rather than avoiding them, he welcomes them into a new relationship and into fellowship. I think in Joseph's story, we can learn three truths that apply to our own situations. Whether we use them to handle estrangement in our own lives and families or to prevent these things from, ha- from coming, God can use us and work through us to heal truly difficult and pain-laden relationships. So the first thing that we need to know and, and do in positions of estrangement is this. Move closer toward the person. When we are hurt, when we are estranged, the last thing we want to do is move towards the person. An estranged relationship sort of follows the opposite of the laws of physics. When we are hurt, we move ever further away from someone. The distance increases. In many cases, adult children are estranged from their parents, with no semblance of a relationship. While there are many reasons for this in our culture today, this also is not a new phenomenon. The parent in an estrangement situation like this feels awful. They're often hurt, ashamed, and hopeless. They may have been told that they are completely out of their adult child's life, and yet what social scientists have found is that when the parent makes the first move towards the child, the hope of reconciliation increases immensely. This requires a great deal of courage and a lot of empathy. For one of the most difficult realities of estrangement is that the person will never truly see things from our own perspective and part part of forgiveness part of reconciliation is giving that up and when we give that up the need for the other person to completely understand our side of the story that need that we have to control the narrative the possibility of reconciliation becomes real the next reality we see is this no one is an island We have this American love affair with the rugged individual, sort of like that John Wayne Marlboro Man image. But the reality is this, we are dependent upon one another. And when we have family relationships that are in disarray, it hurts on a daily basis. That doesn't mean that our family relationships relationships have to be all blissful and harmonious, but our family relationships are worth the work. From a Christian perspective, we become more holy, and more patient, and more kind, and more empathetic when we recognize the complexities of each person. And when we cut someone off because we are, quote, done with them, we forget the wreckage that it leaves behind. As social scientist Joshua Coleman writes, we may see cutting off family members as courageous rather than avoidant or selfish. We may convince ourselves that it's better to go it alone than to do the work it takes to resolve conflict. Some problems may be irresolvable, but there are also relationships that don't need to be lost forever. We cannot live life completely isolated and alone. We need one another, and others need us. God made us this way, to be in relationship with one another, as Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen states, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another the third key to forgiveness and reconciliation is this is that we have to imagine a new reality Joseph was clearly able to imagine a new reality for after he could take a step back and take a grand view of his life he was able to see that God put him in his position for the exact time to help save his family and the future of Israel And Joseph was able then to imagine a new reality with his brothers, a possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation, even after he was thrown into a pit and almost left to die, sold into slavery in a foreign land, and ended up in prison for a crime that he did not commit. True reconciliation is a gift to be received from God. The person that can move towards someone who has hurt them immensely and offer forgiveness has received grace from God and then is imparting that grace to the other person. The forgiver is able to see that the way things are in their relationship is not the way things have to be. God's desire and vision for reconciliation is far beyond what any one person can imagine. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, preached about this in his sermon on family religion. He said, You will have need to use all the grace, all the courage, all the wisdom which God has given you. For you will find such hindrances in the way as only the mighty power of God can enable you to break through. End quote. All the grace, courage, and wisdom that God has given you is needed to break through the estrangement within your family. But God's desire is always for health and healing. This is God's desire for our relationships. The only way to see this is to receive the gift of God's imagination, that the way things are currently is not the way things have to be. Friends, the hope of the Christian gospel is always this. The way things are is not the way things have to be. We are estranged from God, cut off from God by the power of sin. And God said the way things are is not the way they have to be and came to us in Jesus. The vision of God's ultimate reconciliation is not just about us going to heaven. It is about how God wants to break in here and now into our lives. Forgiveness and reconciliation are real They are gifts that we can receive from God. In 2019, Brant John practiced what could be viewed as one of the most tremendous actions of forgiveness. For after his brother, Botham John, had been shot and killed by an off-duty Dallas police officer, Amber Geiger, when she walked into the wrong apartment, Brant John took the stand in the courtroom. And John clearly had received a vision from God for a new reality of relationship. He recognized the power that existed within forgiveness and that harboring hatred in his heart, even for his brother's killer, was not going to do him or her a bit of good. And so on the witness stand, he moved towards her, first in speech, In a calm and serious and God-infused voice, 17-year-old Brant John said, I love you just like anyone else. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die like my brother did. I personally want the best for you. I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad upon you. I hope that you will know Christ. Brant John meant these words with every fiber of his being. You might remember this vaguely uh, in in your minds, in in, in your pre-COVID brain, but I would invite you to go ahead and look up on YouTube this scene when when he speaks directly to Miss Geiger. John was not giving some scripted response. Rather, he saw the possibilities of forgiveness that someone could only receive from God. And then he moved physically towards her. He asked the judge if he could get off the witness stand and give Amber Geiger a hug. And as he moves towards her, she embraces him and does not let him go. She continues to hug him. Does this mean that Ms. Geiger's sentence should be commuted and that she should not receive justice for her crime? In no way but it is an incredible picture of the power of forgiveness and reconciliation. Your family estrangements are most likely not based upon murder charges. They're likely more mundane. And they may have grown out of years upon years of little things that added up, and someone just had it and cut off the relationship. My prayer today is that you would be able to receive the gift of forgiveness from God and imagine a new relationship that God only could give. It will take courage. It will be hard. And when we move toward one another, it is worth it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.